Hello, my name's Toby Haydock. I've never read Far From the Madding Crowd, and yet I've seen the Censorites eight or nine times. That's all you need to know. Right, it's a double-header this week, because I'd arranged to interview uh, an actor from the Hartnell era of Doctor Who, but he lives quite far away from me. And then it turned out he was going to be at a Doctor Who convention organised by Phantom Films, and they very kindly agreed for me to be able to spend some time with him uh, after he'd done his panel at the event. Uh, And another cast member from the story in which he appeared was also on hand. So after this main interview, uh, there's another shorter snatched interview. So it's uh, you've got uh, two different people's memories of working on a sadly missing William Hartnell story. And the first of those coming up now. Enjoy it all. So I'm going to ask you to say who you are and why I'm talking to you about Doctor Who. Uh... My name is Peter Thomas. I did a episode, four episodes, in fact, of Doctor Who, back in the 1960s. And uh, that's what we're talking about today. Well, and the interesting thing, Peter, is that you're an actor that um, I'd always tried to find, but it's very difficult on the internet because Peter Thomas, Peter and Thomas are both quite common names. So searching for you is difficult because you you sort of you disappeared from the acting profession I did. for a good a long time, 30 years. 30 years, and then a couple of years ago, you suddenly appeared on Casting Call Pro, yeah. and I was like, oh, hang on, well, wh- how, where's, what have you been doing all this time, and wh- and how did you get back into it? Yeah, well. Uh, um, I I worked until 1973 was the last job that I did, and I was under contract to a management company, and my wife became terminally ill, and we had two young children, so I had to retire. I was forced into retirement to look after an ailing wife and, and two young children. Uh, the last job I was offered, which I turned down, was 35 weeks with Bob Monkhouse, which I really couldn't do. You know, it was there was no way that I could take, I I could find a somebody to look after my family while I was away. It was a tour, and so. I turned it down and I didn't fall out with the management agency but uh, we did decide that it was better if I left their books and their tutelage as it were and that's what we did and around about 1980 I came and started a production company Um, and we made lots of corporate videos and I of course was doing most of the voiceovers because uh, it kept me sometimes in front of the camera as well and I didn't completely lose contact with all the things that I wanted to do and the kids have grown up I'm the granddad, and uh, we just decided, or I decided, that I was getting near to retirement age, 
and before I gave it all up and went and sat on some desert island somewhere, that I would have another go at the acting to do all the things that I hadn't done. And I started off doing some university productions back in 2009 and I went off to Copenhagen to present a quiz that they were doing on the internet and they invented a character called Mr. Grumpy which um, I have sort of taken over now and Mr. Grumpy has appeared in one or two things and he's all set actually I'm looking for some writers to do a couple of uh, comedy films uh, featuring Mr. Grumpy uh, which hopefully we'll manage to get off the ground if not this year then next year. And did you find after a break of 30 years you slotted back into performance to acting pretty easily? Strange enough, it was, yeah, it was quite easy, you know. Uh, I, I was lucky the first couple of jobs that I had didn't really have a lot of dialogue, uh, but I was, I was the central character and I started playing old age pensioners and I think I'm stuck with that for the rest of my life probably. The, young juvenile leading man has gone and left me you, you will never play the Dane <laughs> I won't <laughs> what you did play of course though in, in Doctor Who which is the reason for the start of our conversation but we might go elsewhere I hope we do um, is that you played Captain Edal in The Savages a missing uh, William Hartnell Doctor Who story how did that come about it was directed by Christopher Barry um, I knew Chris Barry uh, we'd worked together before. Uh, I was um, with an agency uh, um, under a management contract and they put me up for Doctor Who and the BBC said yes and uh, so I played Captain Edal, the working chief of the security forces in the uh, mythical place where the savages took place. The title itself, The Savages, was twofold because the real savages were the people of the uh, the upper class who bred the people of the lower class to actually give them their power and their, by stealing their life force. Um, and we had, we did quite well for the four weeks. And, um, it's quite an intelligent metaphor, isn't it, the script? Yeah, yeah, it was because it was, it was, there, there were two lots of savages, the ones that were running around in the jungle laying traps to capture innocent victims and the elders of the society uh, it was amazing 
uh, Ewan Solon was in it, and yeah. poor Ewan had to spend three hours in makeup before we went out filming or rehearsing or, you know, on the... I, and the whole thing was done in black and white, but uh, I was painted gold all over. And <coughs> I think it was gold. It might have been silver, but I'm pretty certain it was gold. And that was it. That because we were the upper class, uh, we were gold. And of course, gold didn't show in black and white television. But um, so you suffered for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Frederick, yeah, of course, that famous African American actor Frederick Yeager was was blacked up. Uh, well, Frederick and I worked together on numerous occasions um, in various, like the plane makers we did some of together. And, uh, but uh, he, was, he was a friend and one of the friendly faces that I met when I came into the uh, rehearsals for, for the Savages. Well, I believe one face that wasn't particularly friendly when you came into the Savages was William Hartnell because you'd encountered him on the army game. Yes, well, we all have our off days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Bill Hartnell and I did not get on that well. Uh, in the army game, uh, I fell out with him during rehearsals. He was very... Um, well, he used to shout. <laughs> and if you forgot a line or miscued him, he would tell you that you had miscued him. And would you please learn the lines because it does help. You know? <laughs> so we tried. And literally in the last episode of Doctor Who, I think he almost forgave me with the... The famous scene in the oil-filled smoke cavern that this was filmed in, in the BBC studio. And my line at the time was, we came across Doctor Who and I had my henchman with me. And the correct line was, grab him and strap him to the trolley because we were going to take his life force with our needles injected into his spine. But, owing to the pressure of work at the time, when it came to delivering the line in a loud, clear voice, I said, strap him and grab him to the strolley. <laughs> Which meant we had to do the whole of that scene again. But it did get a laugh, even from Bill Hartnell. And, um, that was the episode four. It was almost sort of ten minutes before the end of the whole thing. But, um, well, and if, you, if you're going to do a Doctor Who, you should tick off two things. One, go to a quarry, and two, play a bad guy. And you did both. I did both, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Is it always more fun playing the baddies? Oh, yeah. I, I made a reasonable living out of playing baddies right why is that because you, you, you're very nice what is it about you that makes a good baddie then well I was as a young actor I was 
trying to get in everywhere, writing letters to everybody, putting photographs out. And I started with, um, oh, there was a series running called Probation Officer. And I played a baddie in that. And they gave me a flick knife and they let me roam across a bridge over the canal in Paddington in the middle of the night with me flick knife ready for action and so it was fun I mean acting was fun and luckily the phone kept ringing as far as I was concerned so I was going from doing uh, stuff at Merton Park to the Avengers to um oh well, you did a tour. You mentioned having a flick knife. You were a pretty, um, you were a bit of a gangster, all leathered up with teddy boy hair in a great series that was very controversial at the time called Big Breadwinner Hog. Yeah, that was that was amazing. That I think if they if Granada had had a chance to see the first episode before it was uh, actually transmitted, that uh, it, the, the whole program would have been put back until certain edited scenes could be taken out of the, out of it because uh, it really was it was the most violent it was the most violent television to go on British screens for that decade and it, and it got into a lot of trouble and for those listeners who, who don't know basically you're a gang of thugs who are taken on by charismatic young thug-to-be Peter Egan who, who has a sort of business sense as well and you're the old guard with Godfrey Quigley and Alan Browning yeah. and Barry Linehan who gets acid shoved in his face in episode one which is, it, which yeah. is uh, so, um, so you're with a great bevy of character actors causing all sorts of trouble as the youth come in yeah no they were they were good directors and we had we had a great cast I mean we had people like Timothy West and uh, playing gangsters and Donald Burton Donald Burton is a great performance from Donald Burton I think. yeah because uh, the original script was not written for Donald Burton it was written it was George for, Sewell's character for George yeah. Sewell's character out of a they called Spindo with Ray McAnally. That's it, yeah. And uh, that was, it was to be a follow-on for, uh, for George Sewell. But uh, for some reason he didn't do it and Donald Burton came in and, and played it. And we lived for a year in a hotel called the Brown Bull in Salford in Manchester um, first day I moved in there uh, it was the only American landlord in England Billy Barr and uh, he said you've come at the right time this is George Best's local pub and tonight is his 21st birthday party and you're invited and that was the start of a, a great relationship that went on for a year until we finished on, on, uh, on Big Rip and a Hog. You know. 
Crikey, you survived the savages, famously a Doctor Who story where nobody dies, and you also survived George Best's 21st birthday. Yes. Take some yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, I actually bought him a drink on his 21st birthday. I bought 15 drinks, and the bill came to £5.60. <laughs> uh, um, and we, the cast, because we were mostly staying, uh, I think Alan Browning had a flat. Uh, I was bed and breakfast in the hotel and evening meals on demand if you wanted one. Uh, I mean, you, they were... Um, I paid £8 a week for bed and breakfast. I wish I could get it today. <laughs> I think you might get a coffee for that in this place. Um, and uh, you, you knew Peter Egan, didn't you, from back in the day? Peter Egan, I, I actually shepherded him into being an actor. He was a little 10-year-old, 11-year-old grocery delivery boy when we first met. And uh, he asked me how to become an actor. And I said, well, get rid of your North London accent and get yourself to drama school, which he did. He went to RADA. And he did come back and see me. And we, uh, he went off then to RADA and did well at RADA. Uh, he came out from there and I saw him because we lived in the same road in, in, uh, in London and uh, I saw him again just before he went to uh, drama school and I saw him after he'd done the first year I think at RADA when suddenly he had lost this Kilburn accent and become the young Peter Egan who was going to be a Shakespearean actor you know. and then I lost track of him until we met on the read through for um, Big Breadwinner Hog where we sat down and read all the episodes the whole cast and he said to me at the coffee break he said you don't remember me do you and then he said I used to ride the bicycle for the Kilburn Egg Store and I said, oh, God. And then he went on to star after Hogg in, uh, in, I can't remember what the name of the series was. And strangely enough, my daughter, who was at school, went on a day trip to the BBC and they sat and part of their trip was to watch a recording and it happened to be the, the Peter Egan thing. And uh, I wrote him a letter and said, Dear Peter, you know, uh, it reminds, I seem to remember that you rode off on the Kilburn Next Door's bicycle. Uh, that was about 10 years ago. Could you please bring it back? Because we've got some more deliveries to make. <laughs> And I had a, um, a letter from him via my daughter saying, you know, great to hear from you and um, we must get together. And I was waiting for them to do Peter Egan, This Is Your Life because uh, 
<laughs> the opening story of his career was, uh, was the Kilburn Egg Stores. Did you prefer all film series or did you like doing the sort of continuous recording in the studio like the Doctor Who was? Um, I think they both had their, you know, their merits. And it was nice to be able to do take two, you know, because <laughs> it did help. But uh, it was just nice to be gainfully employed for most of the year, and the next year, and the next year, and the next year. I, I had a friend of mine, Michael Balfour. Oh, wonderful actor, yeah. Uh, now, Michael was, when I was at drama school, he was one of the tutors. I went to Lambda and he was one of the tutors who tried to teach <coughs> an American accent. He played a lot of Americans on film, didn't he, Balfour? Yeah, uh, but every British film that was ever made had Michael Balfour in it somewhere, and maybe only for a split second or a few minutes. But he was there, you know, and... Uh, I was sort of taking after after him as much as sort of beginning to appear in everything that was, you know. You were, you were a, a ubiquitous face. Yeah. You were one of those faces. Well, you also chalked up um, a series with Benny Hill. Yes, yeah. And Tony Hancock. Uh, and your take on comics? I mean, both very complicated men. Um, Tony Hancock was... Amazing to me, he's still my my favourite comedian. I think um, none of the the series that I did with him has survived. The ones I did, he was. We used to go in uh, Monday morning. We'd have a read through. Tuesday morning, he'd rewritten it. <laughs> But we were still laughing as we read it through. And that was it. He changed it. He took bits out, put bits in. Um, <coughs> um, one of the ones, the stories that we did, he was captain of the Woolwich Ferry, which uh, he, he set off and he was being interviewed and I can't think of the actor's name. Uh, it's the same guy that worked with Benny Hill. Um, I can't think of his Henry name. McGee. Yes, Henry. Henry McGee. Henry McGee. And um, Henry was doing this this interview with the captain of the of the Woolwich ferry, and he said to him, "Don't you ever feel the urge to turn left when you pull out of Woolwich?" and sail down to the end of the world. And he said, no, because I, I, I don't want to drop off the edge of the world. <laughs> but, uh, no, they were, if you played villains back in those times, then you were always down for playing comedians or doing comedy shows. And uh, that was that was great fun, you know. And I worked with a from Jimmy Jewell to Tony Hancock to um, oh, um, Benny Hill. 
had sand kicked in my face in the Benny Hill show. Um, and they were just, uh, it was just a great time for personally to be in the business and to manage to work with all these all these stars well I'm grateful to you for sharing your memories with us and I've, I've exceeded my allotted 20 minutes you've been very generous with your time so I'll just ask you um, the, the sort of three end questions that I always do to bring it back to Doctor Who had you been aware uh, that, that you know people were interested in you from Doctor Who did, pe- did people write to you and find you over the years when did you become aware that people were interested in your four episodes of Doctor Who I think it's for years now they, they, I seem to get about 12 letters a year from Doctor Who fans who um, ask for photos or send photos and ask for them to be autographed and, and returned you know. in fact I've got one sitting at home at the moment that uh, somebody who managed to track me down via my current agent and sent uh, sent a letter to them, uh, which they forwarded on to me. We went for a, a couple of years ago. I did a film with Lionel Blair called Being Lionel, in which I took over as Lionel Blair, and uh, who I'd had a personal a personal row with 50 years before, and Lionel, who is now. 81, 82, I think, and uh, we did this film, and it was had its first showing about a fortnight ago in 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 London, and uh, I went down, and my agent was there, and she said, "Well, here, here's your fan mail that's arrived," and she gave me this um, Doctor Who. Another one, you know. Uh, and why is it? Why is it? Do you think people are so fascinated by Doctor Who all these years later? I don't know. It, it, it caught the uh, atmosphere of the sixties, and it 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 was. I mean, it started off as a kids' show, but moved into being a an adult show as well, and people just enjoyed Doctor Who um, and when they brought it back albeit whatever it was 30 years later uh, it was and I think I think it, it's, it was an instant success I think my, one of my favourite Doctor Who's was John Pertwee and in the in the latter ones, the newer versions, then uh, it has to be David Tennant for me. Popular choice. Oh, and something you might not know is that you know they do the audience research reports at uh, the BBC. Used to commission audience research reports, and in the audience research report for the Savages, they single out the performances of William Hartnell and Peter Thomas, who played Captain Edown. So yeah. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. No. So, so somehow Swife, forty. <laughs> Liked what you were doing there, Peter. Well, you've, you've kindly given us your time, uh, and we don't charge for these podcasts. So what we do ask is that if, for the listeners who have enjoyed our chat, uh, if they so desire, to um, donate to a charity to um, 
pay for our time if you like uh, and I will ask you therefore to nominate a charity that you would like the money to go to um, I would like it to go to a local charity from my hometown uh, which is the Helen House Hospice for terminally ill children which is a, a local charity which is always in need of funds as they all are you know but. indeed well that's a, a great cause and on the back of that um, what is your message Doctor Who fans are now celebrating 50 years of Doctor Who this year would you believe what's your message to all the people that are still watching Doctor Who keep watching because it's a good show and I never know I Captain Edal might make a wonderful comeback <laughs> well he's still out there somewhere so a return to the planet of the savages in order but until that time Peter Thomas may I just say thank you very much for talking to me you're very welcome thank you Peter, and uh, before I spoke to him, I did grab a few short moments with another of the actors from The Savages, so it's not quite a whole or a rounded interview and sort of just ends, but uh, I thought some memories uh, would be more interesting for you than none, so uh, enjoy. If you could tell the listeners who you are. Yeah, my name is Andrew Lodge. I've been an actor, oh, I've lost count of the years. But a good, a good long uh, history and CV. Uh, over the years, a lot of TV work, a lot of film work, uh, commercials, voiceovers, uh, documentaries, you name it. Uh, last, the last few years, I've been very, very seriously ill. Back on track again, slowly. And still available for voice work. You're listening. <laughs> well, and you've got quite an eclectic background, haven't you? You're Australian. Yeah, my mother's side of family is Swedish. And you've, pl- you've played a few Germans on television. Well, yeah, Germ- I, I studied German at school. I wanted to learn Swedish back in Tassie, but there's no one there to teach it. So, I mean, I should have been christened my mother's name, uh, uh, family name, Anders Mortensen. So my name, I, I use only part now, is and, 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 Andrew, Andrew, the anglicised my name, anglicised my name to Andrew, and I use the first half, Lodge, instead of the full double barrel, ah. which can be a bit boring. Lodge Mortensen, oh yes, 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 no. you get terribly sort of sniffy about double barrel. Did you worry about typecasting then, if you'd had the double barrel? Oh, well, I, I tended to get, as I spent time in the army, regular army, back home, tended to get... Uh, officer parts or uh, MI5, MI6 colonel, whatever else, you know. And also comedy stuff as well, with Peter Sellers, three, three movies, you know. You will tell us about Sellers, because you did, as you say, you worked with him yeah, on three yes. films. No, he, he, he was, he always kept a bit of a distance because he is who he is, you know, was, you know. But I got on always terribly well with him. And he was always very loyal, he liked your work. And there's something else, another movie he was doing, he would plug for you, you see. And I did soft bed to hard battles with him, which is very funny stuff. Then uh, the, the last Pink Panther. And then his ill-fated Prisoner of Zender. Uh, I found him very easy to work with. Despite your eclectic and varied Pardon? career, oh, despite totally. your eclectic and varied career, um, 
the, the reason for this podcast to start off with is to uh, mention your role in Doctor Who in two episodes of The Savages. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So do yes, you have yes. memories of Sorry, that? we got off track. That's all right. No, no, this, this podcast years. is allowed to go off track. Well, the thing is, uh, with Doctor Who, it was early on, the first series or whatever, second series, whatever, no, first series. Um, and I remember lots of bearded faces in bushes, The Savages. Yes. Oh, the title. And... Um, the uh, the doctor I met occasionally, and when we had him strapped down to try and r- take his blood to feed the savages with, and he t- triumphed over that. You know, his, per- his personality in the context of the story. The elders tried to take his blood to feed their slaves. That's right, and it, that resulted in Frederick Yeager doing his William Hartnell yeah, impression. He's a lovely man, a very fine actor. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Doctor Who did get some... For, for a sort of kids' children show, you know, that cast, you've got Frederick Yeager, you've got uh, Ewan Solon. Sorry? You've got good guest actors in... Uh, oh, yes. Freddie oh, Yeager, yeah. Ewan Solon. Well, once it really took off, you see, uh, everybody wanted to be part of it. And, uh, yeah, great. Had you worked for Christopher Barry, the director, before? No, I hadn't. No, no. No, the... Uh, I hadn't. I, I, I'm sure I haven't worked with Chris before that. I know the other Chris I worked with Christopher Miles uh-huh. on on the Priest of Love with Ian McKellen and John Susman and John Gilbert. Whatever happened to all of them? Well, <laughs> who knows? You know, Ian McKellen's a young boy; he's still got a long way to go. Yeah. And <laughs> Janice, teach him everything you know. And Janice Susman, I knew from the Stratford days. You see. Of course, yeah. She's a wonderful actress. And of course, of of all the actors you worked with, of course, your Doctor Who was William Hartnell. Do you remember working with William? Well, it could be brusque, but that was a part, I think, of his uh, yeah, military background, I think, I suspect, anyway. Brusque and to the point, no nonsense, but a, but a good guy to work with. Nice fellow to work with, I found. And do you remember your laboratory where you uh, tried to suck his life oh, force? Trying to look terribly scientific, you know, and uh, knob twiddling and dial reading and making notes, all of that stuff. Oh, so were you doing lots of busy stuff in the background? Well, yeah, yes, exactly, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Well, it's only really the three characters in this in the series, the Doctor and two big assistants, you see. And we were around there helping in various ways. So so the, the, the point is to make sure what you're doing is where, where the camera's pointing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, an example of that is when I did Conduct Unbecoming. You had uh, Christopher, Christopher Plummer, Richard Attenborough, and I was picked up to ride be the third person. So when you get a nice close-up, those three guys, those two guys and me, with them. Do you want to show the grandkids? Absolutely. <laughs> and one of the scenes where they're pig-sticking, you know, the young subalterns in the mess, bit of fun. And with the old charge around. And one cameraman said to me after the top one scene, uh, I said, he said, you make sure you're seen. I said, well, I'm not paid to hide behind bushes. <laughs> Scarlet tunic, sabre, charging around, and that's what they pay for. Um, and you worked with on Beau Geste. You worked with Doug, Doug, Douglas Camfield, who was uh, one of Doctor's favourite. Sadly, lost him about a year afterwards, I think. Yes. What was he like as a director? He was absolute magic. He, uh, when we got to the last scenes of Beau Geste, I played I played Glock, the German character. Surprise. And you know where they're all fight and they're all killed and he, he 
he said to me, and the, the three or four of us in particular were close up, I won't plot your death soon, let you work it out yourself. And we did. Worked a treat. That's it. So my thanks to Peter and to Andrew uh, and to Dexter and Ian of Phantom Films. Uh, fine fellows all. Coming up next, there's an interview, a long interview that I did with an actor who's appeared in four different stories for three different doctors and is one of my favourite my favorite actors of all time, I have to say. So what a joy that will be. Uh, that's in a future edition of Toby Haydoke's Who's Round. Uh, I'm Toby Haydoke. This is Who's Round. If you haven't gathered either of those things up to this point, I suggest you seek immediate medical attention. Goodbye. again, didn't you? Yes, and you didn't. No, it seems as if whoever these creatures are, they want to speak to you, specifically. I am recording this message aboard the conglomerate space platform Fortune in the Proxima 4 system, and this experiment will be our brand's defining moment. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Sands of Life. Let the experiment begin. Straight at us. Global one alert now. Well, we've no idea what it is, but it's right in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Their eyes. Danger, mistress. Something is making contact with the mistress. Does that sound friendly to you? Stay away. Stay away. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. Well, if you hadn't already decided to buy that, uh, I should just let you know that uh, I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> David Warner, Hayley Atwell, Tom Baker. No, no, no. The Haydokes in town. So, um, buy that one. <laughs>